Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, February 29th. Happy Leap Day. If you are uh, going to use the extra day for good, our thoughts are with you. Hopefully you can find something amazing to do on this bonus day on the 2024 calendar. We are going to focus on team previews in the AL East in particular. We get the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Orioles for today. We got lots to cover, and I'm excited about this. And we have a relevant news-related thing that I just saw as we were prepping for the show. We've been discussing Brady Singer a lot as someone that has a, a two-seamer that hasn't worked. We've even been a little negative about the Royals and their inability to develop pitching over time. I saw this story from Ann Rogers, covers the Royals for MLB.com. Brady Singer added two new pitches for his first spring outing. He's got a four-seamer, he's got a sweeper, and to put the gravy on top of this one, you know, the Royals approached him with a presentation in the middle of last season about this. So proactive adjustments being made. And I think it is worth noting with the change in GM, JJ Piccolo taking over, there are other changes in the organization when that happens, even if it's an internal promotion. So perhaps the Royals are turning a corner and making some adjustments and looking at pitching in a way that will bear some more fruit as they try and make some adjustments for guys like Singer and others who've been you know, inconsistent or have struggled overall in their organization. Yeah, I think it's it's good news that they're willing to change something other than, you know, keep working on that change up, kid. Uh, and uh, I, it's interesting also that it's the four seam and sweeper because sweeper, the four seam is something that would be better for him against uh, lefties. And I'm hoping this comes with a package that's like, you didn't have to abandon the sinker, just throw the sinker inside instead of outside against righties and make it, uh, you know, a different kind of weapon. Um, and then the sweeper is, uh, is going to be going to get more righties out. Um, I think he has the arm slot for the sweeper, so that's good. Uh, I don't know if he, you know, the one thing about jumping on a sweeper, maybe midseason would have been aggressive because it's hard to command. It's a big shape. So just sort of starting to throw it in August, I guess it might be all right if you're not concerned with winning the division or anything. But uh, it's a, something that's way easier in the offseason. So if he pushed back and, and is now doing it, I think he probably was like, hey, like, okay, but do we have to do it now in August? Can we do it in the offseason when I have more time to practice these things? Yeah, I, I think the stark contrast between his 2022 and 2023 results probably – spurred the willingness to make that change in the offseason as well so to revamp the arsenal at the very least i think what it does is it makes me want to watch singer throughout the spring and see if he's worth a late flyer or an early season pickup right he's got results before with a lesser arsenal so as opposed to someone that i would ignore completely he's at least someone i'm keeping an eye on now isn't it also kind of interesting that you know i i kind of always thought that you know, this was coming for Singer, like this, the 2023 was coming for Singer. And so in uh, 2022, I think in AL Labor, I I was like trying to trade for Singer just because I needed another arm. And um, they were driving a hard bargain. And I was just like, uh, okay, I don't care. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> move on to the next guy. And I just kind of assumed that it would go badly for him. Um, but if you look at this, the monthly splits for Singer in 2022, like he had a bad June, but he finished with ERAs under three in July, August, and September. And so, you know, like there's this like weird thing that where season to season and in season are just different in ways that I don't understand why, you know what I mean? 
Like if he's theoretically the same guy in 2023 and 2022, and I thought he was always good, you know, going to be more like 2023. Why didn't he in 2022 have more months that look like 2023? <laughs> like there's not that much of a difference between what he was doing in 2023 and 20, like 2022. You know, like it's not like his changeup was good in 22 and it was bad in 23. It was bad both years. I guess it, there's something about like how quickly can the league adjust to what you're doing. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. And if you don't make a counter adjustment back, then the results just keep getting worse. You keep on taking water with the ratios, it keeps getting worse, and then you need the offseason retool. His velo was a little better, 93.8 versus 92.1. So that's a pretty big velo drop. But I mean, 93.8, we just, we just established that his sinker doesn't have good shape. So like even at 93.8, is like, why would it be that much better? So uh anyway i just that was a little thought i had but it has nothing to do with the american league east <laughs> more like american league beast uh, <laughs> that's awful <laughs> that let's start with the 2024 blue jays preview this is a team that took a weird step back almost across the board at the plate last year but there were new dimensions at rogers center it's been puzzling uh, one of the players that was most impacted may have been matt chapman who's not even on this roster he is still a free agent on the 29th of February, probably not the way anybody thought his offseason foray into free agency would go, but it wasn't just Chapman, right? It was a across-the-board drop-off from the entire group. You look at Vlad Jr., you look at Bo, um, you look at Dalton Varsho. Those were all players people were excited about last draft season and for good reason, and even if they didn't all completely fall on their faces, it was disappoint- disappointing relative to projection for many, many hitters in this lineup. So I guess just the broad question is, do you see a, a bounce back? Do you see this group of hitters being more comfortable in the park, maybe having different game plans for their home park as we look ahead and, and try to project them going forward? Because the numbers are actually really good. Projection systems love Vlad Jr., given his age and what he's accomplished to this point in his career. That completely makes sense to me. And Bo Bichette, who dealt with some injuries last year, at least looks like a very high floor early rounder who still, if he runs more like he did earlier in his career, could get back to being you know, a possible top 15, top 20 player again, as opposed to the top 35 to 40 range player he's being treated as this draft season. Yeah, I saw a game and they were talking about Bo Bichette's fitness and they said they, he took some time off uh, of hitting and, and, and baseball activities to focus more on his fitness. And he does... Um, look a, a little bit like a little bit more like beefy but trim like he looks yeah best shape of his life you could say genuinely yes like like more like muscular yeah and i wonder i don't know what that means for his stolen bases but with his opposite field approach i do think it's important for him to hit the ball super hard and uh we know that his hit tool is i say borderline elite and um, that his approach is going to lead to good batting averages, but also maybe not as much power as you expect. So, you know, being as strong as he can be uh, to turn some of those opposite field fly balls into just enough homers uh, could be the way past 24, 25 homers for him back to, you know, he had 29 in, in 2021. Uh, then again, the ball has been a different since 2021. So maybe this is the reality of it is he's a 20 to 24 homer hitter with a great batting average and five to 10 steals. That's still 
even if you take evaluation like that, it's still a pretty uh, pretty good underrated player in drafts and a good cornerstone piece for them. I think he's going to do better. Vlad Guerrero, like I just think he has his nitro zone, which is up and in. And he has such a good hit tool himself that uh, when pitchers pitch him outside of the nitro zone, uh, but inside the zone, um, he puts wood on the ball, but he puts wood on the ball and creates grounders. And I think that's the story of Vlad Guerrero. I, I, I do wonder if the projection systems are going to see that all awesome, awesome maximum exit velocity for Vlad Guerrero and the pretty good barrel rates and keep projecting for better power. Uh, the bad X, for example, has a 237 ISO on him. He had a 205 ISO Vlad Guerrero did in 2022 and a 179 in 2023. So that's 1300 plate appearances with less than a 200 ISO. And the bad X is saying, nah, I still see a 237 coming. So, um, the bad X is not going to look at heat maps and not going to look at swing tendencies and not going to look at how he's being pitched and how he's reacting to how he's being pitched. And so I just wonder, are we waiting for an adjustment? That's not going to happen because a kid like him is saying, what are you talking about? I've been like 25% better than league average over the last two years. Like, why do I have to change anything? Yeah. All fair points. I feel like you're starting to make a projections are a liar sometimes case for Vlad jr. Just a slight one. It doesn't mean he's bad. Well, you can see the market. He's he's fallen vis-a-vis his projections in almost every draft I've seen. He's been yeah. the best value at the top of my queue for like multiple rounds in most of my drafts. Well, the most pessimistic projection is still 278, 357, 492 with 31 homers from Zips, 100 RBIs, 89 runs scored, non-zero in the stolen base category as well. He'd chip in five there, which is, you know, better than nothing of course captain obvious but i'm still in on on vlad i I think what i what i've always wondered about is just if we've probably talked about it before is the curse of the great hit tool like being able to get to too many pitches and hitting pitches he shouldn't hit as opposed to working the count and getting something he can drive i think he still has the ability to make the adjustment and do that Uh, if you run the auction calculator with zips as your projection setup 15 team league kind of nfbc to catcher all that stuff Vlad still comes out as the 19th ranked hitter. And if you do it as bad X, he's top 10. Right. So I'm in at the discounted price because of the age, because of the supporting cast, and because I do have a broader belief that What's you're going ADP? to get a few like bounce third backs. round or something, right? Or end of yeah, the yeah, it's uh, pick 30, kind of at the 2-3 turn. Sometimes he falls a little bit, like you said. I've seen it. Like if you got in the third 40. round, just, I think, laugh and laugh all the way home. I think the uh, the veterans in this group are a little more challenging to figure out. George Springer had a huge season last year, brought back the speed too. And given the injury history in recent years, given his age, he's 34 now, it's probably hard to pencil in another 683 plate appearances. But even if he were to get you close to 600 or a shade below that, which is where the projections have him right now, he's still a solid player where he's going. The would you rather it appears to be is Springer versus Lane Thomas, a guy that really put it all together for the first time last year. I'm taking I'm taking Springer. I don't know if it's just silly, but I mean, he's an established guy that with the new rules stole 20 bases. And the the thing that he also didn't do last year, he's done for his whole career and especially over the last 3 years um with some of his best power numbers 
he didn't pull the ball. And this spring he said, he's coming out, I'm going to pull the ball more. So pull the ball more, maybe strike out a little bit more, but maybe make more out of your balls in play, have more power. Um, I think he can get back to the 25 homer level, uh, pair that with 15 steals. And I just, I just, you know, the story over in Washington Nationals camp, you know what it is? It's James Wood and Dylan Cruz. And mm-hmm. are they both going to make the big leagues right out of the gate? Wood is the one who's, you know, playing better and making the case maybe in terms of results on the field right now. But I just read a piece that was like, what if they both start in the big leagues this year? That'd be fun. If the Nats want to go full fun and become watchable, I have no problem with that whatsoever. If they want to become sellable. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. You could very easily see both, you know, Cruz and Wood in the lineup with Thomas. I mean, it's not like they've got anybody else blocking those outfield spots. Those are those are pretty much up for grabs at this point. There's somebody. What's his name? No, there isn't. No, what's his name? Uh, I think it's Stone <laughs> Garrett. Oh, Jacob evasive. Young. Uh, on this Blue Jays team, there are also some deep league uh, guys I like. Um, actually, you know, border, he's not, uh, I guess, maybe in 10 teamers, maybe not. But I think in every league, Dalton Varsho is a guy I like. Um, I just think that, you know, first year with a new team, it's not obvious that he was pressing in terms of any swing rates or anything. But it wasn't a great year for him. And I think, you know, he needs to just find that just right level of pulling. Um, And um, I just see a guy who has different ways he can affect the game. You know, he's above average in a lot of different ways. And I I could see him settling in 27 years old. Like, I don't think we've seen the peak season from him. And, uh, you know, he's capable. He had a 4.8 war season. I know that's on the field, uh, but it also was his best season with the bat. So, like, if you want somebody late in a draft that could go 30-30, like, isn't Dalton Varsha one of the best guys? Like, what's his ADP? Reasonable in the 200 range, like early 200s is where Dalton Varsha tends to go. 200 plus ADP. Like, if you scan the the players that are available – do you see anybody that you would put up like over Varsho for potential 30-30 season? Mm, great question. Let's have a look. We'll get some would-you-rathers for a 30-30 dart season in the 200 range. I guess you could look at him and say, well, Lars Newtbar goes a few picks before, but in the same range. All right. I know you Not like Lars Newtbar a lot, but let's say you miss out on Newtbar. I've, I've just been reading that he worked with the Arnado brothers to put more loft in his swing. So that's how he gets to the 30 homers. I don't know if he gets to the 30 steals, but yeah, that's a good one. But yeah, Varsho does run a lot. And, and I think the thing about Varsho and his profile, you look back, the hit tool is at least average, maybe even a little above average. At least it was supposed to be as a prospect. I wonder if you got just too pull happy like yeah, for exactly. two years, right? You, you find this extra power and you think, oh, I'm just going to keep hitting for power. And the downside of that pull happy approach sort of reared its head during that first season with the Jays. So it is making an adjustment. But yeah, I mean... It, you're, you're kind of like saying up colon 30 30 like in the forecast or not like expect 30 30 you don't oh, have yeah, to get yeah, anything yeah, close yeah, to yeah. that definitely not saying to expect it I, I would look at that batting average category it's weird to say this about a guy who's a career 229 hitter it just seems like a strange outcome for his profile he doesn't yeah. seem like he should be as much of a drag in that category either yeah that's that's uh, a big part of my argument that i'm making is that like he'll get on base more 
Uh, he's got this this interesting tool set. I'm looking at uh, 200 plus. Uh, I, Jared I mean, Kelnick. Oh, I mean that's just a Tyler O'Neill. <laughs> We're just Tyler saying names, right? No, I mean guys, <laughs> guys that have the power and speed need the path to playing time. Varsho's glove is way closer the playing time. than those guys. Jack Suwinski. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring him up again. <laughs> Where else can we have a Blue Jays preview and Jack Sawinski comes in from the <laughs> right, top rope? Right. You're right. Let's move on. But uh, <laughs> uh, we, we seem to agree a little bit on Varsho. Uh, deep leaguers that I like are Turner and Schneider. Uh, Turner is just one of Justin Turner at 39 years old. is just one of these guys that just keeps on ticking. You kind of expect him to play less, but he has managed uh, on average like 575 plate appearances over the last three years. Uh, he still hits like 270 to 280 with 20 homers every year. Um, you know, he's even capable of helping a 15 teamer late. So, you know, uh, I don't know that Justin Turner needs to seed a lot of time, especially since what if they try to sneak him out there at third? Well, yeah, that's a weird situation. That whole, that whole Their third base situation is not good. And uh, with Kiner Falefa, you know, being kind of a utility guy and Santiago Espinal also being a utility guy, like what if the secret plan is more games at Turner at third? I'd be watching where Turner uh, plays in spring training. And then the other one is Davis Schneider. I think he's, you know, in the catbird seat for second base. I will mention that he's gone 0 for 8 so far with 50% strikeouts. So 0 for 8 with four strikeouts uh, so far this spring. And if you look at how he's being pitched, he's a pulled guy, wants to pull every fly ball. Early in the season, they were throwing him forcing fastballs middle up. Uh, late in the season in September, uh, when he, his OPS fell like 300 points, they were put, throwing their forcing fastballs up and away. Uh, so there's already been an adjustment by pitchers. His pull percentage fell from like 55% in September, in, in August, to uh, 45% in um, in September, which says to me he's still trying to pull the ball, but uh, I think pulling a ball that's on the outer black uh, leads to the kind of outcomes that he had in September. So, I, you know, there may need to be an adjustment here. That's why he's a deep league guy, because there's a little bit of an on-off switch. He could be in the minor leagues, I guess. Yeah, wide, wide range of outcomes for Schneider, but put together a really impressive season between AAA and the big leagues last year. 29 homers between the two levels, 10 steals. That was only uh, 122 total games, too, because he was an up-and-down guy. I think the league kind of figured him out, so we'll see what kinds of adjustments he was able to make this winter to sort of counteract that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Proof was just submitted by Mr. Saris here. The other name that's on the depth chart that could find time is Eduardo Escobar if he makes the roster. You know, just one of those veterans that seems to find more playing time than you expect. So I would say he's the other guy that... Especially since... Third base is a bit of, a bit foobar. You got a projection of about an 86 WRC plus. Uh, Kiner Falefa has a projection of a 83 WRC plus or or lower with a minus sign on it. And Espinal has a projection of 89.95. So maybe we're 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 short shrifting him. You know, he makes contact. It's not always powerful, uh, but uh, sprays the ball around like he could be a younger kind of falafa in a way. 
I keep wondering if Aurelius Martinez ends up getting a lot more run for the Jays than expected. Someone that could play maybe second or third, depending on where they decide the bigger need is. Just made some pretty big adjustments last year at AAA. Very, very young for the level. Didn't make the card, but him and Addison Barger both could end up having some kind of role. And it just seems like they're, you know, the the choice about not signing Chapman is to maybe keep that as an option for one of the young guys going forward. Definitely. Let's look at the pitching. Kevin Gossman leads the way. You made a case for him during Potapalooza as maybe one of the top end pitchers that you would be avoiding, at least at price. And I think it was a compelling case. Mostly these is just so dependent on two pitches. And as you age, especially that becomes a very risky thing to do. Yeah, we, we, when you look at the way relievers and starters age, as relievers uh, lose their velo, they lose their strikeout rate uh, precipitously. It's basically in lockstep with their velo. Starters generally uh, you know, lose their, their strikeout rate slower than their velo. And my theory has always been that what you can see is starters use their fastballs less over time and they have larger arsenals. So they can do the Granky where they're like, okay, this week, this year I have this new pitch or I'm featuring this pitch instead of that pitch. And I've got five pitches, so you don't actually can't always be that comfortable in the box against me. Gossman has been trying and trying and trying to, to, to throw a, a good breaking ball. Um, heard whiffs of a, of a sweeper, but I, I don't know that it fits his arm slot necessarily. And uh, with this much trying and no success in developing a big breaking ball, a good breaking ball, like I, I kind of, I, I think he's comfortably a two pitch pitcher in my head. I don't necessarily say that I'm completely out, but I do not necessarily have him in my circle of trust. If you're looking for an ace in the first two rounds, and Gossman is the one that is still on the board, like a lot of times, or in my history, this draft season, I've taken the bat. I have found that I like a few other pitchers that are always available in that same range instead. So they end up on my roster instead of Gossman, and it just ends up being a moot point. But you end up in a situation where maybe dollars are the the currency. You're, you're playing in an auction or something. And if Gossman end up, ended up a relative value in the tier, I might end up with him. But if he's going to go for the same price as uh, even like Wheeler or Yamamoto or Glass now, I'm leaning towards those other three pretty consistently. Luis Castillo, even George Kirby. I, I kind of prefer all of those guys to Kevin Gossman at this point. Doesn't mean I don't like him. Just means that in the draft situation in particular, I don't really see myself ending up with him. I have a real hard time with the ranking. I've got him six right now um, behind Kirby, which was, I guess, aggressive, but has become less aggressive uh, as draft season goes on. Uh, and right behind him, I have Castillo and Yamamoto. But I feel like in a draft, I would go for Castillo Yamamoto. The 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 real sort of how the sausage is made mo- way that Gossman got to six is he's projected uh, by the bat to be the second best pitcher, starting pitcher in baseball. It's a good PPERA projection too. 356 is really nice. Yeah, it's pretty good. So, but, you know, Castillo's 364 comes in a, in a pitcher's park um, in, in just a way that he's been changing over time. Like I can make the case for taking him. Uh, and then Yamamoto is just this wild card, um, you know, that just looks so great this spring. We, we took it, we took in his first, uh, you know, spring outing and it, it looked pretty good. So, it's a soft six for Gossman. Um, and, you know, Bassett, you know, again, he's down uh, two ticks or two plus ticks. And I know there's going to be a lot of people who say like, well, he was down two plus ticks last year and he ended up being fine. But I will point out that the 
you know, the arrow on his velo is generally downward. Um, and last year he was 92.5, uh, which was down off of his, his velos before. If he's 91.5 this year or 91.0, don't you think at some point the chickens come home to roost and it's just too easy to, to, to get in the box against him, even though he has all these different, um, all these different weapons at his disposal. I mean, we say he has all these weapons at his disposal, but the changeup he only throws six percent of the time. Um, so it's really this, you know, the fact that he has like, you know, a four seam that he throws nine percent of the time. Like, do you have to honor that so much? Uh, a cutter at fifteen, sinker thirty nine, changeup at six. Do you honor that? I don't know. So it's, um, uh, I, I just feel like people are going to get more and more comfortable in the box against him. Uh, as the velo goes down, and he's not been on my uh on my to draft list. In fact, the Blue Jay that I've gotten the most often in drafts is Yusei Kikuchi. Yeah, I think there's this sort of collective realization that Yusei Kikuchi was really good last year. And the way he did it was kind of interesting. He basically brought back the pitch mix from his first season in the big leagues, except he throws harder now. And I'm pretty confident the curveball is an entirely different pitch than it was when he got here. But he kind of took this long and meandering road. Also wondering, too, if scrapping the cutter may have made his four-seamer more effective. We were talking to Trevor earlier in the week getting ready for the Friday show. Cutters are the focus of the Friday live stream this week for the pitch deep dive. And one thing he said that I hadn't really thought about in a long time, I haven't heard recently, is just that some guys kind of lose their four-seamer when they throw a cutter. And that may have been exactly what was happening with Yusei Kikuchi. Yeah, uh, the movement numbers don't quite bear it out in that they don't say that he got it back. Um, they do show that in the season he threw the cutter the most in 2021, he went from having a plus ride four seamer to not having that anymore. <laughs> um, so I, I, I would argue that that was part of that story. He hasn't quite gotten it back, but you have to think everything is relative also. So his ride, uh, on his four seam is relative to the drop on his curveball. The drop on his curveball right now, his curveball is better than it's ever been. In terms of the velo he's got on the pitch uh, at 83 combined with the most drop he's had uh, since 2019, this is also a curveball that he seems to be able to command. By throwing it hard, uh, he, he's he's found a good place for himself there. So he's a three-pitch pitcher most of the time. Uh, there's this chance of this nation changeup that performed all right you know in the past that maybe he could come back but i think he should just focus fastball slider curve that gives him basically the type of slider he throws um i think it gives him weapons that he can use against both hands and simplifying you know is probably good for somebody who doesn't have good natural command yeah the analog analysis i mean he cut the walk rate to a career best 6.9 percent last year that is a massive improvement, very similar to the improvements Robbie Ray made during his time in Toronto. So if you think that's sticky, if he has that skill now, you say Kikuchi still misses a ton of bats, he's on a good team, he should pitch a ton of innings, and seems to have an arsenal that's working about as well as it's ever worked for him in the big leagues. So I'm with you as far as being interested. I think as far as you know, Bassett and Barrios go, I like Bassett probably more than the projections do. I keep finding other players that get drafted around him that I just think are more interesting. So he could end up on a team or two of mine, but he's not really a target for me. Barrios would be, I think, a use case to consider if he fell a couple of rounds off his ADP 
and if you had your fun already as far as taking on some risk, because I think the best thing about Barrios is likely innings. It's a lot of innings, good team, good bullpen, good lineup, presumably scoring runs for him. We got a new uh, contender for upscale uh, oatmeal. Uh, might be avocado toast. I kind of like that. <laughs> is that what Barrios is now? Yeah, he's somewhere between oatmeal and avocado toast. Um, mm. I, I think Bassett is a little bit more oatmeal, but he goes uh, among the filet mignons almost. I mean, mm. Bassett, the would you rathers are Justin Verlander, Chris Sale, Hunter Green, uh, Michael King, Bailey Ober. I'm taking every single one of those guys over him. I might not take Bailey Ober over him, but that's that's like a closer. You know what do you what do you need? What do you do? And the other, the first three, Verlander, Sale, and Green, like that's a snap call for those three guys every time. I mean, uh, like let's go beyond over Rodone. And here's one: Merrill Kelly goes twelve uh, spots below Chris Bassett, and I think he is very similar to Chris Bassett, and he's in a way better division situation. Um, I, yes, I know the Dodgers are in that division, but you know Bassett has to fit. You know. Uh, more people on his dance card if you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. um and uh in a better park for pitchers and uh has a better out pitch i think in the changeup and the curve and neither of them has great fastballs so i'm taking merrill kelly uh 12 spots after him i'm taking him over bassett i like that bassett two seamer we spent a lot of time watching it recently so maybe it's recency bias that's getting me but I, I like the way he's using that pitch it's fun getting all that horizontal movement uh, across the top of the zone, getting some funny swings and misses along the way. I think Romano is dropping too far. Romano seems really safe as far as having job security. It's kind of, as long as he's healthy, he's the guy. He seems to be going uh, too late. That's a that's a good projection there, 328. Like, that's a, like, that's a backup. That's like a not bad situation if you waited on your first closer. 100% agree. I actually like the depth in this Jays pen quite a bit. Eric Swanson, Nate Pearson, both among the relievers on the board up there. But then you also get guys like Tim Meza. It's just nice, nice collection of talent, I think, overall. So really, really solid group. The question here with the Jays, same question we ask for every team. The Pakota win projection from baseball perspective, 88.5 wins, second place in the AL East. Too hot, too cold, or just right? I must say just right, too cold. No, just right, too hot, too hot. Like, I'm just right leaning too hot. The reason is it's it's a tough division. And then I think that they've had fairly good health uh, luck on their pitchers. And I just wonder, what if the health luck is not good this year? Manoa got blasted uh, in his first start, and a lot lot of it was on the slider. So I don't think the slider's back. We're we're a little bit at mercy of Statcast and in, in getting these movement numbers on some guys and not on other guys. I would like to see the movement numbers on Manoa, but they've never been the same uh, since Sticky Stuff Enforcement. And I just don't think uh, I, I'm not bullish on him coming back. Tiedemann had like 60 innings last year. Uh, I haven't seen y- Yariel Rodriguez pitch yet, and though I like Bowden Francis uh, and Mitch White is hitting 98. I don't know. I don't know that Mitch White, that's a little bit more like relief outings, 98. And if Bowden Francis and, and, and Tideman's hurt again, like I could just see that falling apart a little bit. And I like, I think you're right that the relief core looks good, but I don't think it looks as good. I don't think it's like a top five uh, bullpen, you know? And so they need the lineup to hit. And, um, 
I don't know. I don't know what happened last year. Like I, I've looked <laughs> at it a lot of different ways. I don't know what happened last year. It's not all the parks. Maybe somewhat the park. I don't know. I'm just a little bit nervous. I think the Ricky Tiedemann injury injury history makes the innings projection very difficult for him. He's got to be a part of their plan, but how they manage him over the course of the season is a great. Great unknown, right? So yeah, I'm I'm out of Manoa uh, until we see some really encouraging stuff from him over a reasonably long stretch of time, which is probably going to be too late to get him. I just I don't I don't think he has it. I think he's broken at this point. Uh, I'm with you though on the projection. (laughs) Yeah, he looks better physically, (laughs) but it's still just like the stuff has to be there before you can really take a shot. It's more than. Like a very, very late dart in deep, deep leagues. I think it's a little bit too hot as well. Just a reflection of the quality of the division, similar to how I felt about the Yankees. I think this division is going to be very, very tight throughout the entire season. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. Let's get to the Tampa Bay Rays. Some news as we begin with the Rays. Josh Lowe is actually down with hip inflammation for the next six days. Weird timetable. Usually it's like a full week. Uh, Odd numbers of days. I don't really know why injuries are reported that way. But three to five days is more common than six when you see reports. I think it's an interesting group to look at because every time we look at the Rays hitters, we end up playing build a bench. We just did it like a week ago. So we're not going to build a bench today because (laughs) we tried and I think we failed for the most part. It's just, it's really difficult. Randy Arozarena, another guy that looks like he's in better shape. He wasn't in bad shape to begin with, but he looks, he's got like Yandy Diaz arms Watermelons. now. <laughs> yeah, watermelon arms. <laughs> I don't think that's a problem. I, I mean, I think, I think that's generally a good thing to have more muscle. Randy Rosarena too. Uh, there was a big discussion of Ron Gant back in the day when I was in. in oh yeah, that's did that's have, one. Did his, did his muscles get too big and he couldn't couldn't swing right? I remember that from the NFL. There was a guy named David Boston played wide receiver 15, 20 years ago, and he just got so jacked that he couldn't stay healthy. Like eventually, mm-hmm. everything's just like I don't know, too tight or something. But Rosarena has come up a lot on this show as someone who's. Approach earlier in his career was pretty aggressive. It's actually, and these are projections we're looking at, right? These are these are the yeah these are the bat x projections we're looking at. Twenty six homers, thirty one stolen bases. That's sexy. That's really good with an average that won't hurt you and what looks like everyday playing time. Crap! I was looking at him in the third uh, versus Ellie, and I just thought it was a, a little bit early. And now I'm looking at this, being like, well, that would have been a lot safer than Ellie. 
Yeah, well, you've you've really planted the flag and decided that Ellie belongs on most of your teams. <laughs> having a little Randy Rose Arena regret. In fact, actually, I think Randy went right before me. I think that's I think that's actually what happened. I was looking at taking him, and then Randy went, and I said, "All right, Yolo time." Three consecutive seasons with six hundred plus plate appearances. So he kind of ticked the box for an A health grade. Two years now where he's kept the K rate down. He actually walked more than ever last year, and he had a barrel rate at 12.3%, which was the highest of any of those full seasons. So he's hitting the ball harder. He's striking out less than when he arrived. He's walking more. Other than maybe not being a super efficient base dealer, right? You'd like to see a little more efficiency. Maybe there aren't, there's not like another bump in the green lights, but the projections think he will run more, which is just kind of wild to me. He he represents uh, the the best case scenario for the, the uh, Rays approach, which is get a guy who controls his own, makes good contact, uh, can hit the ball, you know, has a good hit tool, hits the ball hard, and and don't care about his ground ball, fly ball rate. You know, don't care about the loft in his swing necessarily. And either hope that the aging curve helps you, you know, like you generally hit fewer ground balls as you age, um, or that you can coach him up. Maybe there's an idea that they can coach up loft or coach it up with, um, hey, you have a flat swing, you hit too many low balls for grounders, do the Isaac Paredes approach and just, you know, hit everything up, uh, up, out, you know? Um, you know, whatever it is, this is the best outcome for what they've done in the past, and which they've done repeatedly with Yandi. Um, with uh, Paredes, with uh, with Randy, with um, I don't know who else comes to mind when I when I say this because I I, I looked at their the they lead the league in like hitting the ball and like hard hit rate, but don't lead the league in barrel rate. So this is something they do a, a fair amount. Um, I think that uh, you know to some extent, uh, Caminero and Aranda. Um, are, are guys that uh, follow that same approach, just hit the ball hard. Maybe I'm oversimplifying, but doesn't it seem like they care enough about the approach and the hit tool to not end up with the the big barrelers that strike out a ton? Like That just doesn't seem like the they profile the they twins. go for. Right, They are not right. the twins, yeah. They, they see a guy that hits the ball hard, and, and Yandi, I think, was a really good example of it. It took him a long time to really unlock the homers, where it was like, hey, we know he's going to get on base a lot. We know he's going to scald the ball when he hits it. If he ever does lift it with that approach, great. We'll we'll unlock something. If he doesn't, like high, he's still it's good. High floor, right? Yeah, it's high yeah. floor. Like, you know, he's at, he has a thirty-two WRC plus for his career, and that's you know, yes, he had a sixty-four WRC plus last year. I I, I think it's interesting. He falls versus his projected quality in drafts a lot. Um, and I think it's maybe because people saw the fact that he launched the ball, you know, he, he had a good fly ball rate in April and then no longer did after that. Um, and so they just don't believe in the 22 homers. And it is interesting to think like, okay, we have this pop-up guy that like, you know, you know, hit 22 homers last year, never hit 14, more than 14 before that, although it was 14 and 347 plate appearances. So, you know, that was a pretty good year too. Uh, and end of the year, the 52% ground ball rate, we don't believe the 17 to 20 homer projections that are out there. That's what the market is saying. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I really can't figure out why. What if he, what if he hits 14 and hits 300? Seems like very likely he could do that be, again. 
he, and and then it, that seems like that'll be still worth where he's going in draft. So um, I, I hesitate to be like, you need to get him. This is not a guy where like he's on you know sleeper list. You know, like you don't need you don't need to get him. But he's one of those guys that like, if he's just falling, you know, and you're like, oh, I don't have a first baseman, and Naylor's gone, and you know, and it's like him. Like, wh- what's the would you rather? By ADP, it's it's not necessarily lined up, but this will happen in a lot of drafts. Would you rather him or Nate Lowe? If they actually are going to go close together, I'll take Yandy. Yeah, he's just he's better. <laughs> it's and I not think you that could hard. circle you could circle those names as a, like I I'm going to take a late first base approach. Yeah, and I'm seeing something similar happening with Luis Arias right now in uh, my TGFBI league where it's like, I wasn't planning on drafting him, but if he's going to fall to pick 195, 196 at that turn, okay, I'll I'll take this big lift in average and, yeah, and there's certain use fallers. it for my benefit. I got Jonathan India as my third second baseman in a draft and hold in like the 30th round or something. And I'm just like, you know, there's certain fallers where it's like if they fall more than like 75 against ADP and your auction calculator says they have non-zero value, like, you know, they, they're they above zero, then like, yeah, I know the case against India. You know, like, I get it. <laughs> if the consensus has a case against Jonathan India, I tend to want to just believe in Jonathan India when he falls. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. There's a, some point where I'm like, sure, okay, but there's also the fact that he was a pretty good player. <laughs> yes it does a little bit of everything josh Lowe, the i think the story was that he you know that he cut his strikeout rate in the first bit and then there was this big argument you know i remember in on twitter and just a barroom type argument where it's like oh yeah he cut his strikeout rate but he's gonna strike out the rest of the way like you know and projections were like yeah he's gonna strike out the rest of the way and then for the middle part of the season he struck out a lot like 35 percent rolling strikeout rate we're looking at his graph right now on, on youtube the interesting thing is, in August and September, he cut it back down again. And he finished the season with 40 games of a 20 to 23% strikeout rate rolling. Uh, that's it for me, man. I'm in. And, and I know you started this with the, with the health injury, uh, the health news on low. And I, I guess I should care about that. But it's six days. He's a 26-year-old. It's inflammation. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm, I'm still in on him. And, you know, to, to give me basically four months out of six with a 23% strikeout rate. And then all the projections say he's going to go up to 28%. I think they might be wrong. I thought it was interesting. And I think it came up on the outfield preview. They weren't sitting him every time they faced a lefty late in the year either. So I wonder if the played appearance projections for Josh Lowe might be a tick on the light side, assuming that this, this hip situation ends up being a minor spring thing. We always say this, like they, they're half, like no matter what you do with your mix and match, like you have to pick like three guys at least that you're going to play every day. Yep. I mean, you, your max bench is four. So even if they were all four platoon guys, you still need to have, you know, three or four guys that you play every day, basically. And for me, that's Randy Rosarena, Josh Lowe, Isak Paredes and Jose Caballero. See, I think it's Yandy Diaz instead of Caballero. I think the shortstop spot they is... They might have a rotating situation. It's a little bit of a revolving door because they brought in a Med Rosario. Man, are the Rays going to tweak something with the Med Rosario? I I, I, will, I will tell you this. Uh, he worked all offseason at Driveline and they're super excited about you know his swing and where it's at. 
Uh, it hasn't showed up in spring yet, but, um, you know, they're playing him in the outfield, though. And he was one of the worst defenders in baseball. So I think he matters to this team, but I don't know that he matters at short. And I will just say that, like, part of my Ellie argument and part of how I see shortstop is I think teams, for the most part, want to stick a shortstop in there, make him the captain of the infield defense, and play him there every day. And I think this this idea that I have holds up even with old guys. Like, I think one of the reasons why Brandon Crawford is not on the Giants is because he's been that guy for so long that they just wanted to emphasize that they want Marco Luciano to be that guy. And they're not going to have Brandon Crawford around to have everybody on the radio being like, why is Brandon Crawford not playing? Marco Luciano threw another ball into the seats. You know what I mean? Can BR is tough, man. You really got to... <laughs> <laughs> got to avoid upsetting the KNBR listeners if you are uh, well, running the Giants. Well, I mean, it is interesting that Brandon Crawford signs to go somewhere else to be a backup when the Giants decide to sign Nick Ahmed to be a backup. You know what I mean? Like, why do that when unless you're trying to emphasize that, like, the next shortstop is the shortstop? I don't know. I also don't think they're that worried about the KNBR listeners. It was a little weird to see Brandon Crawford go to St. Louis. That's not necessarily how I mean it, but like they're just like sort of fan influence. There's there's going to be some fan influence, and you know it also just in terms of optics. Like also, what are you saying to Marco Luciano? You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe maybe it's different when you bring in someone new as opposed to the guy that had the job for a decade. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know how that applies to the Rays necessarily, but <laughs> I think they would rather pick. A shortstop. I think they would rather pick a shortstop. And Caballero has played shortstop every time he's out there. He's not playing other positions. He's playing shortstop. I wonder, too, Junior Caminero, we love the bat. I just don't think they want him to play shortstop in the big leagues. I don't think they want to force that. I think he's the third baseman eventually, and once he's ready, they move Isak Paredes around. That's why they're already leaking sort of, you know, stuff about him not necessarily starting in the big leagues, I think. Do you have of the non-prospect Rays, I, and I guess recent prospects that aren't like Caminero, who's a current prospect, out of like Curtis Mead, Jonathan Aranda, or even some of the depth guys they brought in between Johnny DeLuca, who came back in the glass now trade, Richie Palacios, do you have a depth guy that you like the most that you actually take a chance on because you think that player is going to pop and actually be more valuable to the Rays or have a larger share of playing time than the others? Mead is someone that I've had my eye on just because he strikes out less than Aranda and he has more of a glove than Aranda. Aranda has like a pretty legendarily bad glove. And I just think that with Rosario playing the outfield and also having what by the metrics say is a bad glove, um, the good defenders on the infield are Taylor Walls and Jose Caballero. And that might be it. So the next person who makes the team, they may want them to have a decent glove. But I'm not saying that Mead has a great glove, but it's better than Aranda's. And so I see a little bit of a possible battle there for that last roster spot between Mead and Aranda. Yeah, it's worth watching to see who emerges with that spot because Aranda really has nothing left to prove at AAA, as we've talked about a few times on this show. The Rays pitching is ridiculous. I was telling the folks in our Discord that 
switching this card from the White Sox, where we ended the last episode, to the Rays <laughs> when I made it, was absolutely jarring because you see just pretty consistent sub four PPERA projections. A few, a few exceptions. One really, Zach Little actually making the card, Zach Littell rather. But you look at this group, and when I look at Aaron Civale. And I see where he's going. I look at where Zach Eflin's going in drafts right now and where Zach Eflin was going a year ago in drafts. There's like a 100-pick jump from Eflin's 2023 ADP to his 2024 ADP. Yeah, I'd rather get the next Eflin, I think. (laughs) Yeah, like, wouldn't you rather have the next Eflin? Our buddy James Anderson just put out a a, a great little video and, like, they have the blueprint. Like, why would you not... Want to take the chance on Aaron Savali where he's going, given the Rays' track record? One hundred percent. And you know, you can even uh, like take a shot of the next Tyler Glass now, and that's Taj Bradley and Shane Boz, and you got two shots there. So, um, you know, I think uh, Savali Pepio is the one that doesn't quite fit. There's no like last Ray that looks like Pepio. He's got the command problems of Glass now, but not the Arsenal. That's a bit of a changeup you know, situation there. Um, but uh, one thing they're doing with Pepio that the Dodgers didn't do is, you know, having Pepio throw higher in the zone. And I don't know what kind of ramifications that will have for Pepio's uh, command, but it should lead to more strikeouts. So I am all over Pepio, Savali, Bradley, and Boz. Boz, the obvious question is how many innings. And it doesn't look good right now. Because they're talking about slow playing him and all this and all that, but I still think he gets to 100 innings. So if 100 innings of ace work is good for you, and you know Rodon's off the board, and you know who are the other Michael King's off the board, you know all those guys that like do the similar thing, and you have a place where you can put Boz, IL, deep bench, whatever it is, I'm still in on Boz. So. You know, Pepio, Savali, Bradley, Boz. I want all of those. Eflin. I'm not saying I don't like him, but it's not it's not a great stuff. You know, situation. He's had some knee issues in the past. Um, I think you're just not necessarily buying ceiling. You're you're close to buying ceiling on the price you got right now. I just think the amazing thing with Eflin, he's got one of those projections from the bat that really jumps off the page. He is sixth among pitchers in the auction calculator. When you run that for a 15-team league. So you're still getting a bargain if you buy that projection and you're getting him where he's going kind of in the pick 80 to 100 range of most drafts. Because I don't I don't think people want to push him any higher than that. I think there's concerns the K rate won't jump another level and the knee has been a long-term problem. So you wonder, how will he hold up physically? I have him 18th right now and his the strikeout rate leaps off the page uh, behind him is Blake Snell with a 28.6%. Yuri Perez with a 26.8%. I might want to move those ahead of Eflin because Eflin has a 23.7% strikeout rate projected by his stuff plus. Ahead of him, Freddy Peralta, 28. Grayson Rodriguez, 26.6. Even Grayson Rodriguez, who, I mean, Bobby Miller, who I think will strike more people out and has way more stuff than Eflin, uh, has a higher projected strikeout rate. So, uh, you know, strikeouts are a category. Uh, you know, it's one of the worst stuff, uh, stuff plus numbers of the of the top. And he doesn't have the story of like Scooble coming into camp and throwing a hundred with extra ride and all that stuff. So uh, definitely the softest stuff plus number in the top twenty for me. Going back to Taj Bradley for a moment, what would you need to see this spring to feel like he's 
turning the corner sooner rather than later. You already said you're in because I think the price is low and the talent is impressive. Yeah, 28% strikeout rate, you know, top 25 strikeout minus walk rate for Bradley last year, even when he was being bad. And I just think he needs to do something about that cutter. And the nice news is that we, we hear as he spent the offseason working on the cutter. What you see here right now is how he used the cutter to righties. And what he did is he used it uh, uh, middle up and uh, low and away. Um, and middle up looks like it works. Right-handers miss that pitch. I think he's probably pairing it with his four-seam. And um, if they see the four-seam, which has great ride, they're trying to get on top of it. And then he throws the cutter instead of the four-seam in the same place and they miss it. So that has been working. You look on the right is the contact rate against those pitches. Uh, he throws Where he throws it middle up, it's like 60 to 70% contact rates. That's good. That's blue. But when he throws the cutter down, it just moves less than a slider. You know? And right-handed hitters have no problem with that. So I think he should use the cutter mostly against lefties and use the curve more against righties. And um, either that develop a, a new develop a true slider, or just use his cutter differently, or tweak the cutter. The new news is he's working on tweaking the cutter. The, the really great news is he has an amazing fastball. It's a really really good fastball, and I just think he's going to find a way to develop pitches that work with that fastball over time. Yeah, yeah, tons to still like about Taj Bradley, even though the debut last season was a bumpy one. Ray's bullpen loaded again. Pete Fairbanks is the pricey reliever because he looks like the capital C closer in this group. Just a friendly reminder, the Rays only have six seasons where someone's had 25-plus saves since 2013. Alex Colomay did it twice. Brad Boxberger, Fernando Rodney, Sergio Romo, and then last season, Pete Fairbanks. Those and are, those are all those are like six. veterans that they brought in on short deals, not like, not like fire-breathing monsters they developed on their own. Yeah, and the, the main concern I have with Fairbanks is just the health grade F, basically, for a reliever, which the Rays embrace it. I get it. Uh, I got him on my labor squad. I don't know if I, if I have 10 teams this year. I don't know if I want Fairbanks on like half of them, but I do want a little bit of Pete Fairbanks because he does seem undervalued relative to his skills. I've got Adam in some deep leagues. I think he's going to get 5, 10, 15 sta- uh, saves, uh, and he's uh, a really good pitcher in his own right. Let's get to the Pakota projection here for the Rays. 87.3 wins, third place in the East, but by a very small margin. We're talking about just a little more than a win difference between the Jays and the Rays. Too hot, too cold, or just right? Too cold. One thing we didn't mention is that Springs and Rasmussen are due back. So no matter what they're doing now, uh, no, no matter I don't the fact that I don't love Littell, like they just need you know a half a season out of these guys uh, before they can start make, maybe folding back in some of those returners. Um, it also sets them up to be good in September um, when hopefully those those guys are back to full bore. Um, I, I think Lowe's Josh Lowe's got another step forward, and then you've got just this mix and match: Caminero, uh, Mead, Aranda situation where one of those guys. Uh, could just catch fire. I think, you know, there's there's help on the way. So whatever you think of the team as it is now, there's a bunch bubbling up to the top right now. And Richie Palacios, one of my very favorite late, <laughs> late round darts right now. I love that he's taking those grounders in the infield. Could end up being We've a done an hour second base outfielder. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it goes. I'm not too cool. I'm just right. Mm. I think this is where the the top of the division gets squeezed together. 88, 89 wins, bunch bunch of teams. Yep. 90. 
yeah, I think this is just where I see this whole cluster ending up together. Let's get to the team projected to finish fourth, which I think is something uh, Orioles fans are, are taking personally <laughs> right now. Really, really good Orioles team. Uh, one that I think has become a ton of fun to watch. And you've got the young talent that's already debuted and played well. You've got the number one prospect in baseball, Jackson Holiday, probably coming up for, if not the entire season, most of this season. You've got some of the holdovers who were there when things were lean. You've got some secondary guys that either have been up briefly or will be up to support this next wave of talent. There's so many different ways to get excited about this squad. Up top, it's Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman. The spring oblique injury doesn't seem to be too bad for Gunnar Henderson. I haven't really dropped him all that much. You know, it's just more of a, let's see if it gets worse later in the month. And if that's the case, maybe I'd back away. I don't have him anywhere yet. But the thing that I thought was interesting about Henderson looking at his season a year ago, there's more batting average potential than what we saw. 261 from the bat X actually feels light. There's a nice power speed combo. There's multi-position eligibility. It's kind of like a, an opposite um, an opposite of Ellie sort of, hey, like, do you want the, the young player who's also exciting that doesn't get quite the same polarizing, he's either amazing or he's going to be terrible sort of treatment? Because that's Gunnar Henderson, where there's a it's ton to like about both these guys. who I was looking at, <laughs> you know, if I didn't take him. And I think Gunnar went next. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the case for... Gunner's batting average is the fact that he really improved his strikeout rate over the course of the season. When he, I think everybody remembers that first month of the season when he was sporting near 40% strikeout rates. It was a rocky road up and down, but if you look at the last 40 games rolling, it, it ended up being probably eyeballing 22, 23%. Um, and so if he can, you know, start at a 25, 26, 27%. A strikeout rate in April and whittle it down like he did last year. Maybe he'll end up uh, beating all the projections in strikeout rate. If he does, uh, yeah, he'll have uh, he'll have he'll make me look like me look silly for that decision. Um, and he's absolutely a, a, a great young player. Um, I do wonder uh, where where the steals are going. You know, is it just going to be a guy who uh, steals a handful? Uh, stole five in the first half, five in the second half. So there's no split there that tells us uh, that he got his, you know, he got his feet under him and started stealing more. So maybe he's just always going to be like a 10 stolen base guy and not really add that much more there. He doesn't, he's the type of hitter that you don't want him to get hurt uh, running around the base path. So, uh, and it's not necessarily their game. Whereas I think the Reds um, are really emphasizing speed this year. Uh, you know, if you've got Justin Hurtabies out there, like the Reds have got maybe the fastest team in baseball. And I think that they're really going to uh, put the put the pedal to the metal for steals. I'm not sure that the Orioles are building that kind of a team. But what a great young player. 86th percentile in sprint speed and 100th percentile in base running run value for Gunnar Henderson. So I think I would be comfortable Bumping looking at up. 18 to 20 steals. You don't have to... You don't have to get that from him for him to be good, but I think right. he could actually run a little bit more too. It wouldn't surprise me if he did. He's, he's atop the depth chart of two possessions for the Baltimore, so they've got a cloning machine. <laughs> they really do. Uh, Adley Rutschman, we, we talked about Will Smith maybe a week or so ago. We are talking about the catchers to build around in the game right now. I think it'd actually be Adley Rutschman for me over Will Smith, as much as I love Will Smith as a hitter. 
Lower strikeout rate. Smith has more, a little bit more quality of bad, of bad balls. Yeah, but I think with Adley, it's just like a more complete approach. I mean, you're talking about a switch hitter who strikes out a little bit less, who also hits the ball pretty hard. And not as hard as Will Smith does now, but I think he'll get to a little bit more power. It is funny. Adley Richmond's a little older than you think. He's 26 already. but College guy, yeah. The thing that I can't rectify as far as the fantasy market goes, is why Adley Rutschman is inside the top 50 in ADP, the 20 to 25 picks ahead of the other top catchers. I think he maybe is the best catcher in fantasy baseball, but not really by a wide margin. It'd be an open debate from a Roto perspective of who you'd actually want as catcher one. Yeah, that's why I haven't ended up with him. He's sort of like, okay, now we're taking catchers in the next, you know, in a round or two, (laughs) you know, sort of uh, canary in the coal mine because uh especially on nfc like you've got two catchers so you always want to see how the room is going to deal with catchers so uh, i always take notice when rutchman is picked but i never am the guy who picks him you know Mm. they're setting the ceiling on catchers i'm going to get somebody hopefully that's in that top five but not at the top price and i want to see how the room is going to set the price um there was i had a discussion with the group chat uh shout out to uh colette and mason and spore um, we were talking about uh, Will Smith and, you know, Colette mentions, you know, am I at all worried that Will Smith may not DH as much now with, with Shohei Otani there? I mentioned that Otani has a first base outfield glove right now. I don't I think that's a second half thing at most because <laughs> uh, obviously he's still rehabbing the, the, show, the elbow. But I, I just, you know, Sal Perez aside, um, I think that the modern way of of managing your catcher is to watch his legs, you know, and, and to, to keep him off of DH. And, you know, the Rushman is absolutely the kind of guy that you would want to DH a lot. If you were going to get every single like ounce of juice out of the, out of the, out of the orange, you know what I mean? Um, but I don't think that's what they necessarily want to do. And I believe the Fangraphs depth charts would have Mount Castle, Kirstad, Santander, you know, O'Hearn, all sharing DH. I, I there are smart teams that are going with a, a, a specific DH too, you know, um, and I just think that the the general arc for teams is to uh, to play their catcher as a catcher and give him rest on the other days. The only one that I really see, the only two exceptions I really see this year are Sal Perez, maybe just just because he's the the captain of that team, he's the the veteran, he's a good bat, you know, maybe they want to play him at DH some. And um, I, I don't know what the plan is with William, William Contreras. Um, they might just need his bat in the lineup. Yeah, the way that team's built, you get the sense they're still going to play William Contreras a ton, even with Gary Sanchez in the mix and you know Reese Hoskins being a high-volume guy in the first base DH mix. A lot might hinge on other players. But in Baltimore, they have so much depth, one of the deepest groups of hitters that you could really assemble. I mean, on other teams, Colton Kowser would probably be a projected starter right away. Ramon Urias would be a really interesting monoleague infield backup. Even Jorge Mateo would play more on a lesser team because of his glove and his speed, right? And and that's the that's not even getting to the cursed ads, the Kobe Mayos. Like it's crazy how good the depth is on this team. So I would I would be on the side that says it's very likely they're a little more careful with Adley Rutschman's, Adley Rutschman's workload this year, especially coming off a of playoff season. I think they can take advantage of their depth and get the best version of him on a per-game basis by not going absolute max volume playing time for him. Seems like that'd be the better long-term choice anyway. In my head, I just give 
most catchers 500 plate appearances. They've got him with 600. I think that's fairly aggressive. He did get 687 last year, but I I just don't believe that's going to happen again. The uh, bad X projection on Cedric Mullins in line with what you've said about him as someone that you really like in his range, 21 homers, 30 steals, good run production, a little bit of a, a downer in average, but not a terrible drop off there. So really nice player. It's a little bit surprising to me. I guess he's been pushing the fly ball rate. And so as he hits more fly balls, the, the Babbitt goes down. So the bad X has a 268 projected um, Babbitt. But for his career, Mullins has a 296 uh, batting average on balls in play. And he's had seasons where it's it's been well clear of 300. And he has good legs. And he's not like a 50% pull guy or a 50% fly ball guy. So like, what if you... like? Yes, I'm not going to push it much past the bat X, and I don't have to in drafts to still get him. But what if you did give him a 300 Babbitt with that bat X projection? Then you would get a guy who hits 260, 270. I don't know. Yeah, that's an early rounder. He's been an early rounder before. That's weird. Yeah. I, this is, uh, you know, when people ask me, who am I getting in every draft? It's Cedric Mullins. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Right there next to his teammate, Anthony Santander, who I seem to never get because I feel like 240, 30, 75-plus runs, right 80 RBIs. There's other guys that go in the range a little later that could do the same thing. Nothing against Anthony Santander. If he falls, maybe I get him. If he doesn't, I probably don't. Um, do you have Jackson Holiday anywhere yet? I haven't, and I just think it's weird that they're playing him at short and at second. Um in the spring and i just think that you know he's 20 years old like yeah he played in triple a and double a last year i'm sort of betting against him making the opening day roster Hmm. Um, just because they're so crowded and and the way that they're playing him is like not like like i want to see them installing a guy at short you know you want to see more like what they're doing with wyatt langford in Texas right now this spring. Colt Keith. Yeah. Like, they're just like, you're our second baseman. It's pretty obvious. I mean, if you have a really bad spring, maybe it won't happen. But like, you, if anytime you look in the lineup, they're in the same spot, then you'd be like, okay, that's that's where they wanted to go. Like, moving around, just be like, you know, are you really going to put Jackson Holiday on the opening Ray roster to be the backup shortstop, the backup second baseman, and sometimes play third? Are you really not going to play Jackson Holiday after he put up a 162 <laughs> WRC plus and a 154 at high A and double A as a 19-year-old last year and then held his own at triple A? This is an opinion I could change over time. And what I would be looking for was just more and more starts at one position, uh, a solidifying. And then, uh, like, honestly, as stupid as it sounds, maybe some results. You know? Yeah. Starts playing. He starts playing well. And he starts showing up every day at second base in the lineup. Then, then all of a sudden... You know, Westberg, Urias, that group, uh, Schwitz uh, pushes over to third. In some weird way, like unless someone gets hurt or there's a trade, it's hard to see everybody fitting, especially if Holiday has a spot. But I keep drafting Jordan Westberg because I am adamant there's just nothing left for him to prove in the minors. I think he yeah. hits the ball hard as much as we want old. guys to do that. I mean, 44.5% hard hit rate last year, right? Like, yeah. Power, speed. We saw 36 home runs split between 2022 and 2023 at AAA. That was 158 games. 15 for 18 as a base stealer. Low K rates, consistent walk rates. Like, what can't Jordan Westberg do? 
I looked uh, for comps for him uh, for a piece that I did on breakout young players, or I think he might be a deep, he was a deep league sleeper. And what I just did was I looked at strikeout rates between uh, 21% and 26%. Uh, he had a 24.6%. Uh, I looked at max EVs over 111. He had 111.4. I looked at hard hit rates over 42%. He had a 40, 44.5. Um, it's a really interesting list of young players. These are all young players. Andrew Vaughn, Tristan Cassis, Jaron Duran, Jordan Diaz, Brian De La Cruz, Leody Tavares, Matt Vierling. They don't all have the same level of power. They don't all have, they're not all the same types of players. Um, you know, I kind of, he could end up in the Leody Tavares, uh, grouping, uh, the, you know, the sort of 18 homers with non-zero speed, uh, decent batting average, um, not the greatest fantasy player, but a decent one. Uh, but he has a little bit of a two forks in the road. Does he, does he chase the kind of, you know, Cassis Vaughn, you know, more of a power hitting type, or does he, uh, try to get more contact and go the Lidioti Tavares way? I just think this is a good list to be on. You know, it's a, this is a good, not every, like Brian Ella Cruz may not work out or, you know, Jordan Diaz may not work out, but I would say that like, like three quarters of this list is going to work out. And I think he's in the right three quarters. Yeah. And I, you can easily fit them all in if you want to. It's just like, why are they holding back? I've said this before. Give me Westberg, Holiday, and Henderson together at second, third, Urias short. is just a guy who plays against lefties and backs everybody up. That, right. that actually makes this whole thing make sense if that happens. Just do it. Make it happen. Talked about Ryan Mountcastle as a nice uh, source of cheap power where he's going right now, so I think that's solid. Austin Hayes is sort of the forgotten guy here because I think a lot of people expect someone to lose time. Yeah, but I don't think that Colton Kowser is necessarily uh, knocking on the door. Santander is a free agent after the end of the season. So Kerstad and Kowser are going to make their way, you know, onto this team when people are hurt. And if they're if they do fall behind in the race, they will start playing those over Santander, you know, late in the season. But you don't have to start the season with Kowser or Kerstad on in the roster. And so Hayes has actually been a an oatmeal-y kind of guy that just does not go anywhere in drafts. I mean, what is his ADP? 364, like. You can get him in any draft. I think he's a perfectly fine fifth outfielder in almost any league. Maybe in a 10-team league is not useful. But 12 and plus, like, why not get a guy who's going to hit 265 to 270 with 15 to 20 homers and five steals? Like, it's super boring. Take advantage of it while you can. I know you've had some problems at third base in a few of your deeper drafts, the draft and holds. <laughs> Kobe Mayo has third base eligibility. Does he have a spot where he could fit into the mix? I don't know. He's playing the spring and they're, they're, they're playing him all over. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a chance he's, you know, he was a 27% better than league average at triple a 78% better than average league average at double a just another awesome bat coming through the system. Um, I, you know, at 22, I think they could probably just uh, slow roll him another year. God, what a great problem to have for the Orioles right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I would take Mayo over uh, Justin Henry Malloy, who we frequently talk about. If you're just looking for a late third base dart, he's gonna he hits so he's. They have to find a place for him too. Come on, let's do this, Orioles. <laughs> the pitching is pretty good as well. Of course, the injury to Kyle Bradish is the thing that really, uh, really kind of puts a damper on the mood right now. We'll see how things progress for him in the next few weeks, but. 
the big two at the top are probably as good as any one two if you buy into the adjustments that Grayson Rodriguez made over the course of last season. I'm starting to think that maybe I need to prioritize getting Rodriguez on a couple of my rosters because I don't have him anywhere yet and he's got the ceiling. The price hasn't gone completely bonkers just yet. ADP right around pick 75 kind of lives in the Bobby Miller, Yuri Perez group that we really like. So I think it's about making sure I get a little bit of everybody in that group when I want to get Rodriguez onto a roster. I got Grayson Rodriguez and Bobby Miller like right next to each other. Um, Grayson Rodriguez is projected better uh, by traditional systems. By you know PBERA, they're both 3.5 ERA guys. Grayson Rodriguez, a little bit more strikeouts. Um, I, I'm a little bit more solid on Grayson Rodriguez's innings than Bobby Miller's. And so in TGFBI, I, I paired uh, Freddie. Per- I had Freddie Peralta. I was playing an ADP game where I was like, well, in my rankings, I have Grayson and Bobby ahead of Freddie. But by ADP, Freddie goes first. So I'll take Freddie first and then take uh, either Grayson or Bobby when I get back. And uh, I ended up getting Grayson. And I thought that was a good pairing with Freddie Peralta because, um, you know, they're both, you know, they're both risky. Um, I, I, I tend to think that, people overrate their ability to 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 see the risk even in picking somebody like a Zach Wheeler or whatever you know mm-hmm. um and, and so i'm i'm comfortable i think it's slightly different shapes of risk Grayson Rodriguez i don't think is as much of an innings risk as Freddie Peralta and so you know it's an interesting thing to think about is to have different kinds of risk on your pitching staff a little bit more innings risk product, production risk ceiling risk floor risk you know kind of mix it up a little bit yeah, you don't want four guys that have innings risk. <laughs> That's not yeah, exactly. not the recipe that you're looking for. But uh, yeah, Grayson Rodriguez, as we've probably said before, 163 in the third innings last year between AAA and the big league. So they're going to let him go. Like They're going to yeah, let him pitch. He's ready to go. Is there anybody out of the non-top three options? Dean Kramer, John Means is hurt right now too. Kramer, Wells, Cole Irvin, who's showing some kind of new stuff in his arsenal this spring. Anybody that's interesting to you as a flyer, just given the need for innings early in the season and given that Dean Kramer, I mean, should have a job pretty clearly until he gives the Orioles a reason to take it away. Yeah, I've been doing Kramer a lot. And one of the reasons um, it's kind of draft and hold season. And what you have in draft and holds is um, you need to buy innings. And so you'll have your you'll have your roster, uh, your starting your starting line of, of, of pitchers. And then a lot of people, once they have their like first six starting pitchers, will start taking riskier pitchers. Like we'll start taking prospects or guys that are hyped or whatever and sort of go that route. And I find that I can get a lot of value just taking boring guys that are in a rotation. And what I'm trying to set up for myself in the draft and hold is that every week when I go to set up my lineup, I have 10 pitchers that are ready to go, you know? Because I think I can do a better job of just being like, Poof, well, Dean Kramer is here and like it's a good matchup. And, you know, oh, well, Dean Kramer's in Yankee Stadium. I'm not going to not going to pitch him today. You know what I mean? Like, so uh, I see him as a good options guy. The deeper your league, the more I'm interested in Dean Kramer, the shallower your league, the less I'm interested in him. Totally makes sense. And I would say that Tyler Wells is someone for me that previously because of the way they took him out of the rotation had that second half fade I was kind of steering away from him because I just didn't know how they were going to use him I think they might just use him as glue in the beginning of the season to get Bradish and or means healthy 
And we know on a per start basis, Tyler Wells can be effective for a short stretch. We know we like the home ballpark. Bullpen's not bad. Run run support's going to be there. Like he, he just looks like a good short-term solution, even if you don't trust him to keep a job and, and be effective all year. It seems like his body betrays him a little bit. It's been rough on him to like really put together a full season and stay healthy. Um, but the shape of a season for 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 him is, I think, starting the season in the rotation, ending in the bullpen. That's what makes the most sense, I think, for the Orioles. Um, and it just means that the more you need him to be on your roster all year, um, you know, I, I don't know, like it makes him, I guess, a worse, like a worse of a dynasty uh, asset or a keeper asset than any, than anything. But if you think about it, like draft and hold, you'll take the innings, even at the end of the season be like, well, credible reliever, you know, half my team is hurt. I, I still take the the innings, right? Um, in a in a in a free agency league, you're like, yeah, I'll take Tyler Wells for the beginning of the season, and then I'll drop him when he's a reliever, you know. So I think there's he's like he's not the most exciting player, but he's like he's he's pretty relevant for most leagues. Good enough to be rostered, especially with the early season injuries the Orioles appear to be dealing with in that rotation. They get the Angels their first week, you know. It's like, hey. You know? That might Fired be a good up. matchup just for the first week. Should start thinking about those first week streamers. We're getting close enough to opening day where it's uh, it's absolutely in bounds. Dakota has 86.3 wins, fourth place in the AL East for the Orioles. Again, very close to the other two teams we talked about today. Too hot, too cold, or just right? What was the number? 86.3. <sighs> too cold. I don't know. There's, they, It's just not... Um... I don't want to be, uh, you know, over my skis on everybody, but uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know something about this team. That Your it's optimism a, you know, is what contagious. I like is like what I like when you have too many young good players. That, that's a good thing. Yeah, I really like putting Corbin Burns on the top of this, and uh, I just feel like uh, one name to remember is Justin Armbruster. I think he's. Uh, the next young player that gets a shot in the rotation. And then Kimbrell is, I think, maybe probably the closer all year, but Cano is just such a good asset to have uh, when runners are on base and stuff. So it's a good bullpen. And they've got different guys who can step into different roles. I even like Bauman in the bullpen. So um, I think this is a better team than Projections. Yeah, I had him too cold as well. Not by a lot, but just by a little. I think this is going to be a problem team in the AL East for a very long time for all of the reasons that you mentioned. We are going to go on our way out the door. A reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic, $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can join our Discord, find the link in our show description. We have some news coming soon about the Listener League. That's a format we're honing in on right now, so hopefully by Monday's episode, we'll have some some kind of sign-up link and process for that. So we're really excited to introduce that format to you. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. You can find the pod at Rates and Barrels. And of course, March 20th and 21st, Other Half Brewing, the Domino Park location, two live shows featuring both of us and Trevor and special guests as well. So hopefully we can see you out there and get a chance to meet up with many of you in person. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern on our YouTube channel. I'll be in Arizona next week. Uh, hit me up if you're in Arizona. Uh, I'll be at the Saber Conference uh, Friday night. I'll be uh, out at a bar somewhere. Uh, you can hit me up. But uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>